And uh, we are excited to continue a series that we began last week called Blank. And if uh, you have been with us, or even if you haven't, by way of reintroduction, life is fast. Happens in a blink of an eye. Just think of all the things that you guys did this week. Who thinks they did a lot of things this week? All right, yeah. You're like having a hard time. You're trying. That's why you're here at church, right? You're recovering from all the things you did this week. Think about the people that you talked with. Think of all the decisions that you made, right? Chicken or beef, right? French fries or nuggets. I mean, there's those big decisions that face all of us every single day. Now, how many of us think you want to take a guess at how many thoughts you had this week? All right, anyone? What do you think? Throw it out there. How many thoughts do you think you had this week? I heard 10 or 10,000. I couldn't, all right, 10? How many think you have, how many think, uh, how long do you think it takes for you to have a thought? How fast do you think it takes? All right, neuroscientists say you get 1.1 thoughts per second. So it's about 66 thoughts per minute. It's about 4,000 thoughts per hour, about 70,000 thoughts per day, and about a little under half a million thoughts a week. What do you think? Half a million unique thoughts every single week. And really what this series is about is that if we don't focus on the things that really matter, then we can really easily get lost in thought, overwhelmed or maybe just brain fried to paralysis by everything that is going on swirling around us, especially in a fast-paced city like New York. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it talks about fixating our mind's eye on something so clear and so perfect that all those millions of thoughts that we have find their rightful order. So in this series, Blank, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke, and we'll be in chapter 5. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and last week we dove into an earlier chapter about Jesus dealing with rejection going into his hometown. You you think you're going to get praise from the people that are part of your roots, and you go home, and they reject him. They don't accept him, and we talked about people-pleasing and how difficult and tempting it is to want to please the crowd, and really what we need to be doing is focusing on pleasing the Lord. Today we meet a man who's already been rejected by society, uh, not because of anything he said, but because of a physical condition that he's suffering from. And he has a run-in with Jesus. Here, let's read together in Luke 5, 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's stop there. Uh, Have any of us heard the phrase, the walking dead? 
All right, I won't ask for a raise of hands on who's watching the series, but this is not a new phrase. This phrase was used quite a bit, actually, about 2,000 years ago for a horrific, disfiguring disease that we just really read about. It Leprosy, uh, especially back in the day that we're talking about, attacked the extremities, uh, wears down the nervous system, uh, stuff starts falling off of your body, uh, you erode, you deteriorate. It's highly contagious, no drugs to control it, no cure. And the law was, back in the day, you had to scream out wherever you went, unclean, unclean. In different eras of history, there would be these little clapper noisemakers that you would make and maybe have certain insignia on your body to make sure everyone knew that you were coming coming around the bed. I'm unclean. I'm a leprous. You could catch it from me. You were isolated. You were quarantined. And some scholars say that that was actually the, the worst part of the disease, is being disconnected from the community, from your family. And really from then till now, leprosy has continued. Uh, We've been able to manage it a little bit better, but outbreaks have infected people on every continent. Uh, The World Health Organization says about 180,000 people are infected in our world today. About 200 are diagnosed with it every year in the United States. Uh, Its bacteria can go airborne, right? You can catch it from someone coughing or sneezing. And this is a pretty intense disease. Now, it has its latent forms. It has its prephase. There's symptoms. You can catch it at different times. But 2,000 years ago was a death sentence if you had full-blown leprosy. So we understand from our text, this is a pretty serious situation of someone having a talk with Jesus. And what does Jesus do? You know, if I were Jesus, and I understood this disease, I think in my mind, of course I'm not Jesus, but what I would do is I would just snap my fingers and heal the guy from a careful distance. Everything still gets solved, right? We worked it out. You're healed. The news is still spreading. I mean, everything's fine, right? But what does Jesus do? He's got to go and touch the guy with leprosy. He's got to touch him. He does the unthinkable. He does what goes against society's better judgment, rules, everything. And and then you say, I'm the skeptic. So I say, well, Jesus knew that he wasn't going to get the disease, right? He's Jesus. He has those powers, Everything's going to be fine. He knew he wasn't going to get infected. And then I started thinking, would I be so bold, even if I knew that I wasn't going to get infected, to go ahead and touch all of that? Would you? I mean, Luke, who's writing this, is a first century doctor. He's a physician. So he pays very close attention to anything that has to do with the medical field. And in verse 12, how much leprosy is on this guy? It says he is what? covered. Covered with leprosy. This is not someone who's just infected. This is full-blown leprosy. In, in the Old Testament of the Bible, there are at least 35 different rules and regulations for what not to do, how not to get close to anyone with leprosy. Scabs, scaly skin, discoloration, bumps and bruises, even if it wasn't leprosy, the Old Testament was very careful about anything that might be leprosy, all right? They were trying to take care of the tribe. One person gets infected, could be genocide, so they were very careful and would quarantine anyone that potentially had this disease. And what we're really getting to, though, about this is being leprous was more than a disease. It was about a state of mind. 
if you associate with, help, reach out to, let alone touch a leper, now you're a leper. So even if you don't catch it, you are labeled the same thing that they are. You're an outcast. Your family would most likely disown you. They'd be embarrassed by you. No help would come to you. No love would come to you. They believe that you must be cursed by God. Total outcast. And it's pretty hard, if you're someone who's not infected, to risk all of that, all the religious implications, all the social implications, let alone the physical implications, and go in and touch the leprous man. You guys there with me? Would you do it? I don't know. I don't know if I would. And then we have to ask ourselves, all right, would I do it then? But how about, would I shake hands with the homeless today? Do I shake hands with the homeless today? Would I give a hug to someone with AIDS? What knowledge do I have? What risk would I take? Yes or no? We start to analyze the different risks involved. The social, the physical, all the implications. And I find it fascinating to read a quote from Mother Teresa who said, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but these drugs don't treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. And that's the real question. Are we willing to want the unwanted? Lesson is not today, go out and touch somebody. The lesson today is, am I willing? Am I willing? Do I have the spirit to want what is unwanted? And I can't help but think that for everyone in the room, we've come into church today, we have some faith in God, and we understand that God wanted us when perhaps there was a time in our life when we weren't very desirable. He's still willing to accept, to reach out, to bring us in. It's time for us to pay that favor forward. Yes, at at the risk of being labeled or looked at or judged, or disrespected. This is an issue of the will. It's your will. It's your free agency. It is yours to decide what you're going to do with your will. All right? Willpower. We can do a lot on willpower. We're going to talk about what we are willing to do today. That's the question. The same that the leper puts to Jesus is, are you willing? The world teaches us, I believe, to be unwilling in a lot of different ways. To guard ourselves against anything that's new or things that are hard or things that push us outside of our comfort zone. And we learn to resist anyone else's will because it might take away from our will. And of course, we've heard of the battle of the will. So there's someone's will and my will. And the power of will is going back and forth until there's a will war. But we want our will to win. And I hear a lot about free will especially these days. And yes, we have, of course, the ability to choose. God gave us the ability to choose, free agency, free autonomy. But free will doesn't mean that we do whatever we want to do. No, sometimes we don't do what we want to do, especially when it comes to helping someone else. We don't always feel like doing what is right, but we bend and break our will in order to help someone else. Great scripture in Luke chapter 9 that's familiar to many of us. In verse 23, Luke writes, Then he said to them all, Jesus speaking, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, in other words, be my apprentice, be a student of mine. 
Whoever wants to be this disciple of mine must and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Let's stop there. First time that I got familiar with this passage, it was a little bit confusing to me. When I saw that part about deny yourself, it it threw me off. I wasn't exactly sure what Jesus was getting at. And my first thought was, is this a spiritual challenge to deny our material existence? Philosophy major, sorry. And I'm wondering, like, is he saying I'm supposed to deny the self, like the ego, like the thing that I think is me, like just take all of that identity and throw it out? And I had all these ethereal thoughts, but it was actually quite simple, and someone helped me with an analogy. They're like, okay, when someone's on a diet, and they see ice cream, and they want to eat it, what do they do? Oh, deny yourself. Okay, I get it now. Okay, all right. So you say no to the ice cream because you have this belief, this vow, this pact you made with yourself or with God or whatever that you want to kick off the pounds or you want to get healthy, so I won't eat the ice cream. All right. By the way, eating ice cream is not a sin. That's important for me to say in the footnotes and for everyone watching online. But... This is a spiritual challenge for all of us because there's a lot of things that we want in life but might not be good. We want a lot of stuff. We desire a lot of things. The flesh wants to go out and grab stuff that it really knows down the road is going to come back to haunt them. So we could fill in the blank. In order to know Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, we got to bend our will towards his. We have to deny our will and accept his will in our lives. There was a famous wise king named Solomon. He might have been the richest ever in human history to walk the planet Earth. And there's a text in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll read a little bit of the verses leading up to it so you guys get some context. And then we have verse 10 and on on the screen. Let's hear a little bit about what this king was thinking about. In verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. What would you do if you had unlimited wealth, right? This is the list you would make. Of course, back then, he said, I make reservoirs of water groves and flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. That's what you do if you have unlimited wealth. You have a choir that you wake up to to sing to you when you wake up in the morning. Who needs an alarm clock? You've got a full-on choir. The delights of a man's heart, he says. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Now, verse 10, he says, I denied myself what? Nothing. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet... When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, habel, a vapor. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now you say to yourself, wow, really? Richest guy I'd ever walked the planet? All this wealth, all this stuff, all this structure and architecture and and, and economy and, and, and government? 
and he's got nothing to show for it? Come on, there's got to be something. But what's the point? Well, everything that he built was for himself. So let's look at it like an equation. I know we have some math lovers in the room. Self plus self still equals self. Or maybe it's two times self or self squared. I'm not good at math, but I know self's in the other side of the equal sign. So where does it get you? Self plus self equals more self. Self times self. Self multiplied is more self. Nothing is gained under the sun except more you. Do you really want more you of you on this planet? There's a difference between kings here. Of course, King Jesus wore a crown of thorns and preached to deny yourself. And here Solomon wore a different kind of crown, denying himself nothing. I want to make a challenge to the church and everybody here. The three unwilling things challenge. I want to challenge all of you here to make a list of three things that you are unwilling to do. I'm not talking about jumping out of a plane or eating a spider. I'm unwilling to eat a spider also. I'm talking about hard spiritual things. Let me give you some examples. Sharing your faith daily. Leading a Bible study, being committed to the church, being part of a small group, confessing your sin, being sacrificial with your money. Those are some of the things. And maybe there are reasons that you don't. Write them down next to the unwilling things that you're, you're just not willing to do. Reasons you're scared or been hurt before. I'm just broke. Okay, whatever it is that's there. Let's write down three things you're unwilling to do. Three spiritual hard things that you feel in your heart you're pretty much not going to do it. And if there's nothing on that list, welcome to Jesus' world. I can't wait to talk to you afterward because I'm going to give you some things to do. But in the meantime, if you feel like you find something hard, really difficult for you specifically, and write that down. Put it in your phone. Write it down real quick. And what I hope that we're going to do with this challenge is pray that God gives you some wisdom on how to approach these three unwilling things, and then jump into the Bible and look at one very simple question. Would Jesus do these things? Would Jesus do these things? And if you need help, ask a friend that's here to uh, jump into the Bible with you and help you along with this challenge. Let's look at what Jesus would do. You guys with me? It's the three unwilling things challenge. I heard 10 voices. Everyone with me on this? Okay. All right. All right. That's a little bit more. And if you're not, it's, it's okay. You think about it and you pray about it. It's a challenge. You decide whether you want to take it. I'm praying for a revolution of the willing. That we get to a point where there's so much willingness to do what Jesus wants us to do that there is nothing that this church cannot accomplish. In 1 Corinthians 9, because we understand this in a physical way, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul talks about this idea of not bending the will in a spiritual way, uh, but bending it in a physical way. Of course, uh, well, he describes it in a physical way, but it's a metaphor for the spiritual. He says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Uh, Paul did love uh, telling uh, analogies to the physical world, the material 
superhero world talked about Olympians training for the games or the boxer taking a beating to harden their body to be ready for the fight. And we understand this idea of of bending our body, shaping our body in order to be ready to compete in those type of games. Uh, Athletes train, beat it down until it's tough and can take a challenge. Uh, One example of uh, maybe beating your body or working out in the gym, uh, especially with a core workout, is this thing called a plank. Raise your hand if you've ever done a plank, all right? For those that don't know, a plank is similar to the little icon here. You go down uh, kind of in a push-up position, except your elbows uh, all the way down to your wrists are flat on the ground. There's different ways to do a plank, but this is the most typical. And all you do is hold it right there. Now, for those who haven't done it, you might be thinking, that sounds pretty easy. Let's just see. I know we have some trainers in the room. Uh, what's the longest plank in the room? All right, how many minutes? Has, that, has anyone over a minute? All right, a few? All right, throw out some numbers. I mean, I know Quentin's a trainer, Royce. So what, what are some, how many? We got a four minute? Yeah. Four? Okay, that's amazing. Six? Incredible. Anyone more than six? Twenty-two minutes. Oh my goodness! Got a plank expert guru back there. Love it. All right, everyone's going. What? Unbelievable! Is it possible? Twenty-two minutes. Let me tell you a story. There's a guy by the name of George Hood. In 2011, at the age of 54, Hood set a new Guinness World Record for the plank. One hour, 20 minutes, and five seconds. You can see it right there. Pretty amazing, right? I mean, we were like six minutes, unbelievable. 22, impossible. An hour and 20 minutes. Okay, but wait a minute. In 2013, two years later, at the age of 56, he broke his own record, went three hours, seven minutes, and 15 seconds. In 2015, the age of, what is that now, 58? He went five hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) Okay, there's one more. There's one more. I'm so impressed by this guy. I'm just going to show it to you. In recognition of 9-11, and as as a veteran himself... He went 9 hours, 11 minutes, and 1 second. Unbelievable. Sheer willpower. All right. The body can do a lot. Anyone ever compete in a triathlon? Okay. In this crowd, nobody? Okay, maybe one. I know we have some marathon runners. Triathlon is... 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon, 26.2 miles. That's a triathlon. One guy did a triathlon uh, in Hawaii on one of the islands, and then he flew to another island the next day and did another triathlon, and then he kept doing it, and he did five triathlons 
on five consecutive days on different islands of Hawaii. Someone one time did a thousand push-ups in 20 minutes. Someone skydived so fast that they broke the sound barrier. Mach 1, people. A body flying through the air. Someone broke a record person pulling 12 cars down the street, 28,000 pounds. The numbers start to blow your mind. How do you even comprehend that? And what's crazy is God has actually designed us with more strength than our body allows. That's why sometimes in an emergency, your adrenaline starts to rush and you can tap into that extra power. We hear these stories about someone lifting a boulder or a car off somebody. Like, that's impossible. Uh, God has designed extra little reserve of strength in your bodies. Now, the problem is if you did that all the time, completely destroy your muscles and your tendons. See, our capacity is insane. Our potential is untapped. And that's just with human will. What about with God's will empowering our lives? What about God helping us spiritually to do so much more than we're doing now? If we're willing to let his will take our lives over, imagine what can happen. You start thinking of the scriptures. You see the examples in the Bible. Some unbelievable stories. A teenage boy named David lets God's will take his over, defeated a giant, and led a nation. How? He was willing. A family restarted the whole world after the flood. How? Well, Noah and his seven family members were willing A young girl stopped an army from committing genocide on all the Jews. How did Esther do it? She fought her own will to surrender to God's. She was willing. 18 people moved to New York City to start a church in 1983. It was called the Central Park Church of Christ. Now the New York City Church of Christ is 3,000 people. How? 18 willing individuals. Hey, I'm willing. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't predict the future. I don't know if I can even do this, but I am willing. It's my spirit. I'm humble. God, use me. Take me. Let's do this. What are we willing to do, church? Are we willing to ask the uncomfortable questions? Are we willing to answer the uncomfortable questions? Are we willing to get real about our lives? Are we willing to confess our sins? Are we willing to travel on the subway for 30 whole minutes to get to a Bible study? Are we willing? Are we willing to offer our talents to the church? Are we willing to give God's money back to Him? Are we willing? Are we willing to commit to and participate in the small groups in our area to help build up the local church? Are we willing to believe that it's not just about Sunday, but it's about every day that we live as disciples for Jesus Christ? Are we willing? Are we willing to share our faith, talk to friends, family, neighbors, and strangers? Are we willing? Are we willing? You know, compared to pulling cars, planks, push-ups, and jumping out of planes, this seems like a no-brainer. If I got up here and told you I'll do a bunch of push-ups... All right, don't do it. You don't listen to somebody doing that. But if we talk about the word of God, God, our coach in heaven saying, let's get out there and change the world. Are you willing? We say, yeah, let's go. I didn't come to church for some other reason. I didn't come to get entertained. I didn't come to hear 
songs, even though they're awesome. I want to I sing to God out there. I want to proclaim like an angel to the world. I don't want to just come to church to get part of a social need met that I have in my life. It's about God. Discipleship to God. And we have to ask ourselves where we are on that. You know, I'm closing out here. Singers are going to come back up. But I beg of you to consider the challenge that we have before us today. You know, 2,000 years ago, in this situation with Jesus healing the leper, they blinked and they missed the message. They missed what it was really about. Everyone was buzzing about the disease and about this guy being cured and all that. But really, it was about wanting people that were unwanted. It was about crossing a line. It was about having the faith to know that they can make an impact not just Jesus, but his followers. Why? Because they were willing. They had a willing spirit. And Jesus wasn't just trying to do a miracle in that one moment. He was trying, I believe, to give us an example of what it means to have a willing spirit. So the question is simple. Are you willing? We read the pages of scripture. We see the Bible's call and challenge Are you willing to respond? I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect as you do it. I'm not saying you're going to know what's going to happen tomorrow. All I'm saying is, do you have a willing spirit? Are you willing to try? Are you willing to put your foot in the water and say, ooh, it's cold, but I'm willing to give it a shot? That's what God is asking of us. Are we willing? And I pray we are. And may God keep our eyes open and fixed on Jesus. Let's stand and sing one final song.